This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hello, I'm Helen Mark, and thanks for downloading this episode of Radio 4's Open Country podcast, a series that brings you fascinating stories from every corner of the UK countryside. We hope you enjoy it. I'm in the very heart of Newcastle and I am standing on the quayside. There are many people just sauntering up and down in the glorious sunshine. And I'm looking across the broad sweep of the river to Gateshead on the other side and to Baltic, which is the contemporary art gallery. Nature has got a little hold in there because every year the kittiwakes come and they find places to roost all along the ledges of the art centre. And it's become such a popular feature that they've created a viewing gallery up there. And you look down the river and you've got the Millennium Bridge and then the six other bridges down the river beyond that. I'm here to explore the landscapes imagined and revealed in the great exhibition of the north a celebration of innovation and design in the north of England and it runs all throughout the summer I'm just about to meet Lennox he's about three years old and he's in a park with his mum and a picnic and he is listening absolutely transfixed to the voice of the multi-award winning writer of Skellig Dawn holds the bird Air and water sing the song. She becomes an angel's shape. And you? What's the shape of an angel? Thing. I don't know. Do you want to meet the person whose voice when that is? Play yeah. on the village green, Do you see this man over here? To feathers. This is the David the Almond mythophone, and this is David Almond, Hi. who wrote the stories. Hi, Lennox. It's a statue. It is a statue with sound. Yeah. How many times have you pressed the button? When the artists came up with this idea, I thought, what on earth is a mythophone? And then they showed me a picture. It's a glorious thing. It's kind of six feet tall. It has this wonderful horn with you know my voice coming from it. And it squats in the landscape in this village green. And I think it's very striking and very strange and very beautiful. Right, bye Lennox. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Doing the Open Country programme in Newcastle and Gateshead, you know, yeah. might, some people might think, well, that's not where you do Open Country from. The programme is about people and their landscapes and mm. their connections to those places, mm. you know, in the past and the present and, yeah. and into the future. Yeah. Then being here for the Great Exhibition of the North, I, it works, doesn't it? Well, it really does for me. I mean, for me, landscape and place is crucial you know it's become sort of like the geography of my imagination so when I write most of my work is located here it takes place on Tyneside and Newcastle and Northumberland so the connection between the place and my art is it's everything everything so close yeah yeah and in the heart of the city here we'll come to stand under this massive red arch is that a motorway on the top of it or a railway or so we've got a road bridge here um, then there's a metro bridge over there, there's a railway bridge. So it's a place with great kind of elevation. So for me, it's a, you know, on the bottom we have cobbled streets, so ancient cobbled lanes, we have trees, we have kind of really damaged landscape because of the old industry. 
but it's all being revived and it feels like a place with it's very grounded in a very solid place but it kind of seeks elevation too I think it's very beautiful it, I love the grace of the arch yeah it's great isn't it, it is beautiful and then what's been added to it is one of the elements within the trail that's been set up where your wings were yeah you know this part is wing tails of the north which connects with the exhibition in seven stories called where your wings were which is all about my work so when i was asked to do some pieces to go on an art trail <laughs> that's the sound of the city as much yeah, as anything isn't it <laughs> when i was asked to do some pieces they asked me to do pieces which were to do with with wings, with flight, with elevation, and then they would construct artworks with that writing within them, and this is one of the first ones. So it takes up um, feet and feet above our heads to where the arch begins to bend, and it's spanned by this magnificent owl, below it a kingfisher and the run of a river, and the words. Will you read that for me? Yeah. An ancient place of lead and stone and steel and scrap, Sluice gates, water, tunnels, mud. Children, artists, beasts and birds. Where future grows and shakes its wings. You could just stand and stare at that and think about those words. Because that's so much about this cityscape of Newcastle. It's past, isn't it? It is. And if you look, you know, you've got an owl, you've got um, water, you have a kingfisher. And what happens when places change is that nature comes back and kind of recreates itself in places where at one time, you know, if you imagine a hundred years ago, this, this area was very industrial, there was lots of heavy industry, lots of dog industry. You couldn't imagine a kingfisher ever existing in this place a hundred years ago. But now we have kingfishers, we have owls, we have swans living on this ward. And if people a hundred years ago had thought it would turn out to be so kind of rich and beautiful, they would thought, oh, how amazing. Mm. But what waterway? Because it's too small for the time. Yeah, it's the waterway called the Usburn, which comes out from beneath the city. So the Usburn flows beneath the city, comes out here, and then flows down into the town, sort of half a mile further down there. And it's through an area where there was lots of old industry. Um, we now have a city farm. We have seven stories, the National Centre for Children's Books. So it's a place that is in a constant state of recreation. And it's not been kind of gentrified, it's not been over-beautified, it still has the traces, you can still see a kind of damaged place also, mm -hmm. but it's a damaged place which is filled with a kind of tender and um, innovative beauty. Because you draw from everywhere that you've been in your life around Newcastle and Gateshead and down to the Tyne and up, up to the sort of the rural landscape behind that and the mines, you've drawn from those landscapes to tell your stories. For a time, I thought, well, how can I be a northern writer? How can I write about the north? So what you have to do is kind of recreate yourself and to accept the power and the beauty of your own kind of heritage, which is a strange word, but to, to accept who you are and then to discover the, the richness and the complexity and the beauty of what some people would say is just a very ordinary place. But of course, there's no such thing as something that's very ordinary. So my works draw on all of these places. I've set... Two novels very much down here on the Usburn. I wrote a, a version of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth set here in the Usburn. And the entrance to the underworld is where the Usburn goes beneath Newcastle. <laughs> so it, it's a place for me that can be turned into something that's filled with myth and with legend 
and it is constantly renewing itself. Mm. When people think about the North East, they think about the feeding industry, they think about the Jarrah March. When I think about the North, I think about the Lindisfarne Gospels. I think about the richness and beauty of Northumberland landscape. I think about the complexity of Newcastle as a city, a city that's continually kind of recreating itself, expanding itself, a place of great energy. And that's what I believe in. And it's not a defensive thing. It's a saying, this is what we are. We exist here on a frontier. You know, for hundreds of years, the Roman wall marked the limit of civilization. So we live at what people conceive of as being the edge of civilization. And for me as a writer, that's a kind of place of great liberation because I don't feel hidebound by what people might think of as mainstream culture. I'm in a kind of, a kind of liminal space between civilization and wildness, which I think for a writer is a really kind of good place to be. And if you thought you heard sheep while David was talking, it wasn't a sound installation. It was actually the residents of the city farm just making their presence felt. I've come right into the city centre. I'm on Grey Street, which in itself is the most beautiful run of architecture. Georgian buildings all the way down the hill towards the river. But behind me I have the columns and all the, the beautiful carvings of the Theatre Royal. And I'm with yes. Naha Matsuda. Yes. And I'm curious about yours because it has to do with... It's like urban data. Yes, exactly. Tell me, tell me what you're doing. It's a piece uh, called Everything Every Time and it uses all kind of data from the city. And we worked with the Urban Observatory, a research body that sits inside Newcastle University. And they are a very big urban data monitoring body. So they have around 600 sensors all around the city monitoring from water level in the river to traffic noise to air quality to the weight of beehives and all kind of interesting data of the city. In the city? And all this data is open to public, so anyone can look into it and see what's happening. So we, we are using those uh, data to, to write poetry. You're using the words of, of that data. I think one important thing that I have to explain is that I'm interested in using data but kind of taking the functionality out of data. It, it doesn't say any specifics, it doesn't, so there's no numeric values, it just says the bus arrives. So it's very, it's abstracted and kind of, um, yeah, talks about the, the ordinary things that are happening in the city. And those ordinary things, the yeah. words that describe those ordinary yeah. things, yeah. are brought to this place on Grey Street and yeah. to um, a signboard, in a yeah. way, which reminds me of in the old days when you used to travel by train or plane. Yeah, exactly. was the information board. Yeah, so it's called a split flap display. Yeah. Um, so it's a display um, with 50 flaps. So we have the alphabet and letter uh, numbers and a couple of colours. Uh, and it makes a really beautiful sound when, mm -hmm. when it's playing a new letter. There's a real sense of anticipation, waiting, and then you hear this sound, it's like a f flock of birds, and the words appear. And it's quite exciting to watch, it's sort of magical. And this party of school children, they're just taking it all in. They're exploring the city and some of the exhibits and they're just absorbing. 
these words appearing before their eyes, calling out what they think they might be, just being part of it, really. I think often when technology companies talk about the smart city, they speak about it in a very kind of reductive way. It sounds very shiny and simple and it makes everything smarter and more smooth. But actually, I think what for me is really interesting about the city is the chaos and all the different things and noises and the grid of the city. They cut the humanity out of the city yeah, when they yeah, just talk about bit. smart city. Yeah. But and it's here in front of the Theatre Royal. You've yeah. taken words out of where they exist for a reason and brought them here just to be in a piece of poetry. I'm on Westgate Road. On one side I can see the towers of the castle keep and then in front of me the high embankment of the railway line which would go all the way up to Central Station. And these grand archways have been glass-fronted and have become really chic, hipster little places. There's a hairdresser's and a florist and a cafe and there's a micropub which has a skittle alley. How hipster is that? I'm going to walk along the road to Cooper's Studios to meet Sophie Connor. She's an architect with Ryder Architecture and she is part of a team that's thinking about the future of transport. What I'm going to see inside, in actual fact, there's great banners in the window here. It says horse to hyperloop. The building was built as a horse and carriage repository, so a multi-storey car park for horses. So you'd come into the city, you would park your horse and carriage here and then go about your business in the city. Seriously, they, they, they took the horse and carriage and then they took them up level upon level, up through this beautiful red brick building. Yeah, there were and horse, ramps, them. horse ramps inside and there was a carriage left at the back. So what you've done as part of the great exhibition yeah. is to think what... So last year we were one of ten winners with our route for the Northern Arc in the Virgin Hyperloop Global One Challenge. And the Northern Arc is a proposition for a route for the Hyperloop, which goes from Liverpool to Glasgow and using Newcastle as the linchpin to tie those two together. And Hyperloop, just a brief explanation of what that is, and then we'll go inside and it might sort of all become a bit more clear. So the Hyperloop is a new technology, an emerging technology that's still being developed where people and freight are transported in goods by electric propulsion through a near vacuum. The technology is there, it's being trialled as we speak in Nevada in the desert, the economic possibilities for, for what that could bring and being able to get between Leeds and Newcastle in 13 minutes starts to really change how people might work in the north. Well, to help people understand what it would actually mean to have a Hyperloop and what that system mm -hmm. is, you've, you've got an exhibition set up inside. Yes. So it would be lovely to go and see that. Yeah. So I can picture what it would be like to travel. Brilliant. What did you say? About 700 miles an hour? It is, um, yeah. Airline speeds at land oh. level. It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know how the rocket's been brought here? Yes. As Stevenson's rocket. Yeah. When people first heard about trains, they were going, oh, no, we can't go on those. Our, our, our heads will explode mm -hmm. or something because you're going at 12 miles an yeah. hour or something. It's lovely link to the past. Yeah. And, and the innovation of the future. Yeah. Or hopefully the not, not too distant future, the present maybe. Oh. I remember department stores yeah. that had this where they sent... The money in these tubes yep. into a system and it, it shot all up to the top and then your change came all the way back down again yes. in one of these. Yes. So if I take one of these little pods here, it's a tube of ends. So and then if you'd if you just designed your hyperloop carriage, we'd roll that up and we'd just pop that into the tube. Mm -hmm. So then if you want to load that in, if you pop the top in first and then rest it on the, the grey 
block at the bottom. Okay. And into the tube. Slide the handle down. And slide this handle yep. down so it slides down over the top of your little pod that one day will carry people or freight. Yes. Obviously, a lot bigger. Yeah. But this is a wonderful simulation of it. Isn't yeah. It? Now just push it all the way down. All the way down. What's going to happen? Nothing, just yet. You've got to press the launch button first. Oh, great. <laughs> there it is, and it's red even. Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. There it goes. There it goes. I can see it. It's, it's looping through these Perspex tubes all the way around the building. Oh, that's great aerobatics there. Whoosh, it goes. And then it goes right up to the top, along near the ceiling. Oh, another little loop. It's going so fast. And comes all the way back to me. And that would be the passenger safe and sound at the other end, possibly. Yes. <laughs> Definitely safe and sound at the other end. <laughs> wow. It's all clever magnetic magnetic levitation yes yeah. and, the, and, the, and within the tube it would be a sort of a vacuum yeah. and you would be hurtled along but you would be closed off from what lay beyond the tube you would have no glimpse of the countryside no. that you were passing through don't i think the intention is that the the tubes wouldn't be wouldn't be see-through i think if you're traveling at that sort of speed at ground level it might be a bit nauseating they're still they've not done any testing with people in the carriages yet they're still sort of doing that proof of concept testing but i think the opportunity to be able to travel at those kind of speeds and be able to get between cities even on a personal level being able to go and visit friends who live in manchester or liverpool which at the moment is a four-hour journey being able to get there in under half an hour is amazing but when you take that into account of thinking about traveling between meetings people commuting to work instead of people commuting and taking taking hours or being away and having to work away during the week they can get home every evening it starts to really transform it makes those distances quite small and it really starts to transform how we can think about cities and, and connecting them so i'm on a first story terrace i'm looking down over the tyne it's a great vantage point i'm with steve messam and you're an environmental artist tell me about your whistles them being part of this great exhibition so it's it's a sound installation and it's 2.2 miles long a series of replica steam engine whistles which go all the way around the medieval town wall all the way around newcastle and we have one of the whistles just along this wall from us now it's a small piece of brass just perched on the edge of this wall they're from an original drawing from the 1920s and 30s so these are the same whistles that were used on every locomotive that was built at Darlington Works in the 20s and 30s cast at Brass Works in Middlesbrough which is the last surviving foundry in Middlesbrough and then they've been engineered in Darlington kind of bringing together that, that whole history of, of railway engineering that you have in, in, in the North East in particular and a sound that is instantly recognisable but will not have been part of this landscape for a long time. Where did you get this idea from? I started doing this piece up in Scotland about four years ago, and it was a way of using sound to draw the landscape. Sound travels across water differently than it does across concrete, and it rebounds off of buildings, rebounds off of trees, different, and so that you can describe a landscape through the same sound but in different places, and then you can see how the landscape is different. This has been running every day at one o'clock. Absolutely. So when people hear the whistle, they will know exactly what time of day it is. Like they did in the factories when the, when the bells went off. They knew it was time for work, they knew it was time to leave work. Their lives were guided by these horns and whistles and big piercing sounds across their city. 
That's right, it's an old idea, this kind of marking time, but I thought if we're marking this point in time and we are bringing 19th century engineering up with 21st century engineering, which is the software which runs it, that makes sure that that one o'clock is exactly one o'clock because it's, it's timed with the atomic clock. What I hope you'll find just even standing here today is just it's the, it's the bit that happens after the whistle, so it's, it's that reflection of the sound. And, and, and the fact that it's actually really delicate and something really delicate about cities, which is the way that the sound is, is coming back. And obviously here we are down at the river. Uh, you're hearing the sound coming off of, from another city because it's coming off of Gateshead. <laughs> so you're actually hearing a different city as it comes back. And, and where we are right opposite the Sage, you'll hear that the sound actually hits all that glass. But because all that glass is on a curve, that sound is then going in different directions and so it comes off the sage and you'll hear a slap back from the sage but then you'll hear the slap back as it comes off the bridge and off the bolt as well and we never think like that we just feel that sound is around us we don't think about where it's from and where it bounces to and back we just we don't think about that in the soundscape of our lives do we no no i always think of landscapes as being like geological layers but they are actually layers of narrative as well, so they kind of have history and they have purpose, and the way that people have used the land has changed over time, and they become these layers of narrative, as do the stories of things that happen. So having a temporary piece in this, what Christo calls a once upon a time and never again, is that once upon a time, you know, these whistles existed, and, you know, they kind of sounded at one o'clock every day. Uh, but then that's going to become a story of the past, and it becomes part of this layers of narrative of a sense of place as well that all, all adds up to make what landscape is. It's not just, you know, the hills and the dips and the rivers. It's kind of more than that. And that's kind of what I want to do. Transforming it just very temporarily. You're kind of disrupting it. Uh, so that when it's gone, you're left with a completely changed view of something that's familiar. But what, what you'll hear is at about 10 seconds before the hour, there's a short pit that... that that's the short pip that cascades around the city and it goes in a clockwise fashion which starts up at the library and then comes along here uh, and goes round clockwise and then there's a very long five second gap <laughs> once, the, once they've got the water around it's a five second gap which seems to take forever before the whistles all sound at pretty much exactly on one o'clock is all about virtual reality. That's what they're working on inside there. And um, behind it, there's this lovely little courtyard and there are people out having their lunch in the sunshine and there's grass, albeit artificial grass, and beautiful plantings. And then beyond that, you can see buildings which were probably once quayside cottages. I don't know, it's just not what I was expecting. See, I've known Newcastle all my life through family and friends, but I've been given really fresh perspective on the place because I'm exploring it through this great exhibition of the North. There are children from the Dells Lane Primary School in Consett in County Durham. 
just come to seek the shade and they've all gathered together and they've been at the big thing in the sage over in Gateshead and just everybody here in the courtyard and all the workmen they've all just stopped to listen to these young children sing and doesn't it say everything about what the great exhibition of the north is about?